quiera que seas y donde quiera que te encuentres en el camino de la fe, sé que eres bienvenido aquí, en este espacio sagrado. Wherever you are, wherever you find yourself in the journey of faith, please know that you are so welcome in this sacred space. And it is delightful to see you all. Pastor Scott will be returning from his vacation, and we look forward to welcoming him back. Uh, I commend all of you to pray for all of those offices that have been turning gears all summer long for these next couple weeks uh, as orientation and all of the hustle and bustle of the new semester uh, move into place. Let us remember them uh, and lift them up as best we can. I also ask you to pray for me. I won't be here next week. I'll be down. Uh, at the Diocese of Los Angeles in Echo Park, meeting with my bishop, who will approve my decisions for seminary, which is kind of a scary thing for me. There's a lot of anxiety going on, so please pray. Um, we also pray for all of the uh, seminarians that are shipping off, and uh, that this might be a time of reflection for them and a long road ahead. All of this being said, we stand to worship our Maker. Oremos, let us pray. Ven consolador celestial y espíritu de la verdad, que estás presente en todas partes y llenas todas las cosas. Tesoro de bendiciones y dador de vida, ven y haz tu morada en nosotros. Come, heavenly comforter, spirit of truth blowing everywhere and filling all things. Treasury of blessings, giver of life, come and abide with us. For if you are with us, God, then nothing else matters. And if you are not, certainly nothing else matters. Amen. And when I was young, I went through this really terribly klutzy phase. Uh, I would walk into walls, trip over my own two feet, and spill pretty much everything. Let's just say it's a really good thing that I wasn't allowed to drive yet. Just barely, by a couple months. So night after night, our family gathered around the table, sometimes even wearing smocks because they knew that some way or another, I was going to knock over my glass of milk. Smocks might have been an exaggeration, but there were always plenty of groans and eye rolls when it happened. But there uh, was one person that never really did that, and that was my mother. In fact, I think many of the times she knew it was going to happen. It was like part of that, you know, extrasensory momception thing that they all have. Anyway, she would quickly whip off the rag from her shoulder, and she would stop up the mess, and then she would retreat to the kitchen, where in the fridge there was already a full glass of milk waiting for me. It's a true story. I don't know how she knew what she did. And in many ways, I think that she did it with a purpose. She did it intentionally. She wanted uh, my sisters and I to know that no matter what, there would always be enough for us to get by. What does it mean for us to live abundantly in this day and age. 
What does it mean for our cups to be so full that they overflow? Because surely such notions have become slightly cheapened in this day of consumerism. We live in a time where if our bellies growl in the middle of the night, all we have to do is drive over to the local fast food joint that's open 24-7 and be served by the half-asleep, acne-scarred teenager working his fourth night shift this week. If our houses are dirty and we can afford it, all we have to do is leave the signed check on the kitchen counter. And mysteriously, when we come back from work, no human interaction, mind you, the house is spotless and the check is gone. We are living in the days of a great deity called capitalism, which we shudder to think might actually be flawed. But then again, we'd rather not think about it. I'm nowhere convinced that this is the type of abundance that the psalmist is speaking of. And I derive this line of thinking from the preceding verse, which Andy Hansen so eloquently delivered his own thoughts on last week. As I was drafting that liturgy, I did a lot of research on what it meant to be anointed with oil in the days of David. It's not something that we really do anymore, especially in this country. But what I found was that in many instances, to be anointed in such a way was a symbolic gesture of setting someone or something aside for the service of God. For example, when kings and queens of England are coronated, oil is poured over their head. I don't know if you watched the Netflix series The Crown, but it was a very uh, sacred moment, and so much so that Elizabeth did not even want it to be televised. It was the first coronation in history, and the cameras cut out actually, in real life during that moment. Why is this? It's because, per English law, the reigning monarch's most important duty is as head of the Church of England and defender of faith. In the Christian practice of baptism, we chrismate, or mark the neophyte's head with oil, a symbolic gesture that the person is from thenceforth intending to commit their lives to God. So all of this leads me to believe that there is some degree of relationship between these two sections of the psalm. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. What exactly is our cup overflowing with? Well, like I said, I don't think that it has anything to do with things of material or monetary worth, but rather spiritual merit. I believe that each of us is given a distinct set of spiritual gifts, unique to the individual. The gift of hospitality, the gift of wisdom, the gift of empathy, the gift of discernment. These are all things God gifts us. These are the things that our cups overflow with. And I think that when we come to understand this, we can begin to see Psalm 23 in a brand new light. It becomes for us a story of vocation and transformation. First, it is a story of inward transformation. 
When we commit our lives to the divine and we are marked and set apart, anointed with oil perhaps, we become acutely aware of these gifts and they become an even deeper part of our intrinsic being. We discern new ones we, knew, we never knew we had and we become more aware of our own shortcomings. We begin to live lives of deeper purpose which is when this starts to become a story of outward transformation. These gifts become a part of our vocation and they drive us to transform the way that we live in communion with one another. We begin to see the gifts in others and we allow those in need to catch the overflow from our own cups. It's a domino effect that slowly begins to transform the world. Earlier this week, Thanks to Colleen McCarthy for pushing me to go on retreat. I found myself rereading Psalm 23, and I noticed something that I've never actually noticed before. Midway through the psalm, there's a really interesting shift in language that the psalmist uses. In the first half, the speaker shares sort of a, a third-person relationship with God. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores my soul. But then, at the climax, we shift into a way more intimate form of language. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, God. You prepare a table. You anoint my head with oil. To me, this dramatic shift in language implies such powerful intimacy, so that even in the worst of times, God is right there with us. If only we open our eyes to the divine being, we will see that we have all we need. That when a mountain is placed in front of us that seems impossible to climb, we have the right tools, and they have been given to us freely by a God who loves us. This is our mountain, which God has called us to climb. And by the great grace of God, we will overcome it. Hear this, friends. The graces of God are inexhaustible. They can't be sold and they definitely can't be bought. Perhaps your mountain is finishing a degree, finally, after all the odds said you wouldn't be able to. Perhaps it's raising four kids on a fixed income. Perhaps that mountain that you're called to climb involves dissembling institutionalized racism on a local level, maybe even right here at this university, maybe on a national or global level. Maybe it's providing shelter to the homeless trans woman you encountered before she ends up on Sunset Boulevard. Maybe your journey involves helping others to discern their own. I'm going to leave you with a story from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. There is more to life than food, and more to the body than clothing. 
Consider the ravens. They neither plant nor harvest. They have no silo or barn, yet God feeds them. You are worth so much more than birds. Who among you, by worrying, can add a single moment to your life? If you can't do such a small thing, why worry about the rest? Notice how the lilies grow. They don't wear themselves out with work, and they don't spin cloth. But I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his splendor, wasn't dressed like one of these. If God dresses grass in the field so beautifully, even though it's alive today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the furnace. How much more will God do for you? Don't chase after what you will eat and what you will drink. Stop worrying. All the nations of the world long for these things. Your Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, because your Father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out. A treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. So, pick up your feet. Everything that you need for this journey has been given to you already or will be in due time. Thanks be to God. Amen.